You're listening to the seven-part sermon series, Burning Questions, taught by Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. Over our seven-part series, we'll be providing biblical answers to your most asked questions. Let's join Pastor Ryan now. Okay, you guys, good to see you tonight. Trust that you're, uh, that you're doing well, and if you're not doing well, that, that you're giving it to the Lord. So, it's about all we can do, right? We're either doing well or we're giving it to the Lord. So either way, we're rejoicing. Um, So we're in the third week of uh, a seven-part series called Burning Questions. And we've looked at some some neat uh, things so far. We we talked about suffering uh, the first week. And um, if if God is loving, how and why does he allow us to suffer? Uh, Last week, we talked about the reliability of the Bible. Where did we get the Bible? How did it... Uh, come to be these 66 books? And, and how do we know they're reliable? How do we know they're inerrant and infallible? And, and they, they are the Word of God and uh, such important things for us to, to understand. And, and so I um, just would invite you, if you weren't here for those studies or weren't here for one of them, maybe you want to get on the web and, and listen to them at the uh, church's website. They're there for you. Uh, all of the studies uh, are up there for you to listen to. Tonight, uh, we're going to answer the third of, uh, of the questions. The, the topic really is prayer. Um, the question uh, might be, what does prayer accomplish? And does prayer change God's mind? That was really the question that was asked. And, and so I kind of um, you know, wanted to make it a little bigger than that. What does prayer accomplish? But specifically, does prayer change God's mind? Um, if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 32, it's going to be kind of our text tonight. There's a, a story here that would really be the basis of this question. Something that we need to understand about prayer is that prayer is not primarily asking God for things. When we think about prayer, that's what we think about. Automatically, we think about asking God. We're, we're petitioning Him for things. Lord, I I want you to do this, and Lord, could you do this? Could you heal this person? Lord, could you uh, give uh, money here? Could you support this? Could you provide for that? And, and, And that's often how we think of prayer. But really, prayer in its base form is is an opportunity for us to experience intimacy with God. And so I think that oftentimes... We have needs arise in our life simply because God wants to spend time with us. A way for us to relate to God. And when it becomes anything other than that, then it becomes sort of mechanical. It becomes non-relational. It, it, it can become very business-like. Okay, Lord, here's what I need. Can you take care of it? No, okay, end of meeting. And, it, and it's not intended to be that way. It's it's intended to be intimate and, and relational and conversational. Now, this idea of whether God changes his mind or not, I, I think, first of all, we needed to, to kind of understand what prayer is and what prayer isn't before we even address that. Because is that what we're trying to do? Are we trying to twist God's arm in prayer? Are we trying to, to get him to do something that, that his character wouldn't do otherwise? And so some of this is really a theological issue, isn't it? Of understanding the goodness of God and the character of God and that God wants to bless us. And so we don't really need to twist His arm 
And, and really prayer is, is not so much overcoming reluctance on the part of God as it is seizing upon His willingness. See, often we think we're overcoming some reluctance upon God's part. As if God doesn't want to move, He doesn't want to bless, He doesn't want to provide, doesn't want to heal, and we need to just twist His arm a little bit. Like, you know, the, the manager or your, your employer. If I can just, you know, convince them. And that, that really shouldn't be our, our thinking. Let's, let's read through our text here, Exodus 32, starting in verse 7. You guys are familiar with the first six verses. Moses is up on the mount, Mount Sinai. The, the people are, are growing impatient. He's been up there for a couple of weeks. Doesn't sound like a long time, but if you're waiting for somebody for, for two weeks, I mean, can become a little bit taxing. They don't know what's going on, and they want to worship God, but they want to do it in their own way, and they're very stubborn, and they're hard-hearted, and they're rebellious people. It sounds a lot like us. And, and you know, we read this story, and, and we think, well, Lord, I would never do this. And, and of course we wouldn't, because we don't worship these kinds of idols. But we would do something in our own culture that would be familiar to us, that would be the exact same thing. But we know the story. We know what's going on here. They, they make this golden calf, and um, it says they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Hebrew there, play, uh, would indicate that this was much more than just a little party, that this quite possibly was, it was an orgy of sorts. So there was, there was sin going on here beyond just the, the idol worship. And so the Lord is incensed. In verse 7, the Lord said to Moses as he's up on the mountain, and so God is bringing the news to Moses. He wouldn't have known otherwise. And I want you to keep that in mind. The Lord said to Moses, get down, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I love how God is now kind of putting the people off on Moses, kind of like, you know, husbands and wives do. You know, what's going on with your kids, you know? Go take care of your kids. They've turned aside quickly. Out of the way which I commanded them, they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people, stubborn people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. And so the Lord says, leave me alone, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out, and I will make you a great nation. In other words, I will fulfill my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through you. Now, this was a, a phenomenal opportunity for... figure I'll embarrass my wife. It's a nice song you got there. Um... He, he's basically saying, like, you know, I'll, I'll fulfill my promises through you. So he's, he's almost, in a sense, appealing to Moses' pride. What are you going to do with that, Moses? And Moses pleaded with the Lord. And so here's where we, we pick up the, the concept of prayer in this passage here. Moses begins to, to plead with the Lord, to pray to God. And he said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? And Moses here is going to present three arguments against God destroying His people. Three, three arguments uh, really appealing to, to the character of God. He, he's going to, 
to pray in such a way that he's saying, Lord, this is out of character for you. And so Moses is praying in an intimate way because he knows God and he knows what the character of God is. And I want you to notice that. And it's, it's good for us to understand that in our prayer is that we would pray the, the character of God, that we would pray having known God, that we would pray the word of God, see? And that's what he does here. Moses pleaded with the Lord. And he said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? And so he first of all appears to God, appeals to God's grace. He, in other words, man, you're going to make these past victories meaningless, Lord. It's going to make the grace that you've shown them thus far, in a sense, nullified. Lord, continue to show the grace that you've shown in the past to them. And so he appeals to his grace. Then he says in verse 12, Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And so now he appeals to the glory of God. He's saying, Lord, we don't want your name to be shamed amongst the Egyptians. And then finally he appeals to the goodness of God. In verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And so he appeals to God's goodness, that God always fulfills his promises. And then he gave a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, or Israel. And he said that he would make a great nation out of them, that he would bless them. And so he's appealing to that promise, saying, Lord, you can't renege on your promise. All of these pleas are based upon Moses' understanding of the character of God, of his grace, of his glory, of his goodness. What a great example for us in intercessory prayer. But look at verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, the King James Version says repented, so do many others. Uh, the New American Standard says he changed his mind, So, along with the New Living Translation. So the Lord changed his mind, or in the New King James, he relented. It, it really is accurate in any of those translations, the, the Hebrew. It means to have a, a change of heart, to, to change direction. And so, from a cursory reading of this, it seems like God had a plan. He was going to destroy the people, but because of Moses' prayer, he changed his mind and he went in a different direction. But there's a few problems with this idea that God changes his mind. We know scripturally that God does not change. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. James 1.17, speaking of the Lord, it says that in the Lord there is no variation or shadow of turning. Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? In other words, if God says he's going to do something, he does it. He doesn't go in different directions. He doesn't change. He's immutable is the theological term. The immutability of God, that he's unchanging. And I mean, for me, as a, as a Christian, as a person who's given my entire life to the Lord as a pastor, I mean, I, my faith is rooted in the immutability of God. If God is changing, if he's capricious, 
if he's just like a human who I can convince to do different things, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. I'm not sure that that's biblical. But here we are, Exodus 32, 14, the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do. How about Genesis 6, 6? You don't need to turn there unless you want to, but Genesis 6, 6, a famous verse, God creates the world, he creates mankind, it goes haywire, people are just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And what does the Lord say? And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. How about Genesis 18? God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham intercedes. And there's that interchange that goes on that is kind of humorous, really. You know, how about 50? How about 45? You know, all the way down to 10. It's like, you know, dickering at a garage sale or something. And they, they get it all the way down to 10. Lord, if, if will you save it for 10 righteous? Well, there weren't even 10 there, and so the Lord ended up destroying it. But he said that he would save it for 10. And we could go on and on. What does this mean? Does this mean that God changes his mind? And, and from my understanding of theology and of the Bible, I, I would say absolutely not. That God does not change his mind, that prayer does not change the mind of God, that we serve a sovereign God, that we serve a God who foreknows things. There's a popular theology today called open theism. One of its major proponents is a man named Greg Boyd. And Greg Boyd believes that God does not know everything in the future. That he knows everything that's going on in the present. In other words, he can see everything that's going on, but he's unaware of what will happen in the future. And so prayer helps determine the will of God and, and steers the movement of God. Personally, I, I think Greg Boyd is a heretic and that open theism is heresy. The Bible teaches the foreknowledge of God, that, there's, that God can't learn anything. That's part of being God. He can't learn. He's omniscient, right? And so if all of a sudden God can learn things, I mean, we got major problems. So what does it mean that, that God relented, that he changed, that he went in a different direction? Well, there, there's a few different things that could be going on here. One is that, that God wanted to spare the Israelites, but that he wanted to use Moses to do so. And so he brings up his, his judgment and his wrath, which is real. But he's also a loving and righteous and gracious God. And so he, he brings up his wrath to Moses, but on the other side is his love and his grace, which he, he wants to extend. And he uses Moses to partner with him in that, knowing full well what would take place. Because as I said in verse 7, I wanted you to notice that the Lord came to Moses. If God just wanted to wipe them out, why involve Moses at all? Why even say to Moses, hey, these people that you brought out here are a bunch of idiots. I'm going to wipe them out. Why even say that? Why not just do it? Because I think we know from the character of God that he didn't want to do that in the, the first place. But there is a judgment towards sin. And so in prayer, we are really appealing to the character of God just like Moses did. And so it helps in our prayer that we would pray according to the character of God. I think that's exactly what Abraham did in Genesis 18. He knew the Lord didn't want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And so, Lord, if there's ten righteous there, will you spare the city? And, and so, God's will was already established of what he was going to do. But he involves people, and, and he allows us to be a part of that. And, and in doing so, what we accomplish is the will of God, and, and we get to be a part of it. But does it change God's mind? I would say absolutely not. And see, the thing that we have to recognize and understand, you guys, is that th- these are, are terms that God uses here, and Moses writes as he writes this book, but in no way do they fully capture who God is. God has to use human terms to describe himself. And so there's the revealed will of God in the word, but it's not exhaustive because we can't understand it. And I've said this before, but the Bible is God's revelation to us and it's all that we know about God and it's all that God has chosen to reveal to us, but it's clearly not the entirety of who God is. And so when God says he relented or he repented or he changed his mind, he's using an, an anthropomorphism, which is ascribing human characteristics to God. See, that, that's the, the only way in which we can understand God. Think about that for a second. How can God describe himself to us in any other way except in human terms? But it still falls short, right? Because he's God. It's just like when you're talking to a child. You might explain to that child something very complicated in very simplistic terms, but you haven't given them the full scope of the definition or of the meaning or all the details. And that's what I think is happening here. I think we have to to compare Scripture with Scripture. We know God does not change. We know He does not lie. He does not sin. And so when it says He repents... It isn't that he felt like he did something wrong. Something else to consider is that why is it unreasonable to think that God in his sovereignty foreordains things to happen and sovereignly allows things to happen that he doesn't necessarily want to happen. For example, every day people perish and die without Christ and and spend eternity separated from God. Is that the will of God? Is that something God wants? Does he feel badly about that? Absolutely. But he's sovereign over all of these things. And so I think we have to, to come to an, an understanding that the, the word of God is, is, is written in human terms. And we may not understand all of the ramifications. And God is just laying it out there in the most basic way for us. But there are people and there are some that believe that, that this wasn't God testing Moses. This wasn't God saying to Moses, look, here's an opportunity for you to be a part of what I already want to do, which is one option. There are people that, that really truly believe that God was intending to pour out his wrath and destroy and that Moses came along and was able to change his mind. And, and I'll be honest with you, I can understand that to a certain extent, because it seems from the text that that's what was going on. It seems from Genesis chapter 6 that, that God uh, had an intended plan, and then he was sorry for what took place, and, and that he had to go in a different direction. But when I compare Scripture with Scripture, I just can't wrap my mind around that. And so I have to look at this differently and interpret this in light of other Scripture 
which is good hermeneutics, good Bible interpretation. To say, okay, from other parts of the Bible, we know this isn't possible. So what could be possible? Well, it could be the scenario that I brought up, that, that God was, was allowing Moses to be a part of, of his plan. We know that God wants to show grace. We know that he wants to, to be merciful. But he's also wrathful. But it's, it's perfectly embodied in him, those two things. They never contradict one another. And so, in my understanding, what does prayer accomplish? I think prayer aligns us with the will of God. I think God already has a plan. He sovereignly knows exactly what's going to happen before it does. He's foreordained things. And so it aligns us with His will. We become a part of His plan as we pray. And when we don't pray, it doesn't mean that God doesn't do what He was already going to do. It just means that we get to be a part of it. See, this is where I struggle because there are those that will say, you need to pray for people, otherwise they're not going to get saved. And and I just say, well, that is absolute craziness. You mean God is dependent upon me for the eternal state of another person? There's just no way. But as I pray for somebody, I get to be a part of it. See, but where we automatically go is we say, well, then if God already knows what he's going to do, then why pray? If that person's already going to get saved, then why pray for them? Because we get to be a part of it. We, we get to enter in to the will of God and to align ourselves with the will of God. It allows us to relate to God, to, to experience that intimacy with God. As I said, God creates needs, I believe, oftentimes in our life. He allows us to suffer. He allows us to go through financial difficulty or physical suffering because it is in that that we experience intimacy with God. So often. It also involves us in the will of God. See, had God not come to Moses, then Moses wouldn't have been able to be a part of this. It's just like with with Jonah. It's very clear that God wanted to spare the Ninevites. Otherwise, why go to Jonah and have him go there in the first place? He's a, a gracious God, a kind God, right? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh because I'm going to destroy them. Does God want to destroy them? Clearly he doesn't, otherwise why send Jonah? Why go through all of the the hassle when Jonah rebels? Why send a whale and everything else? He wanted him to get to Nineveh because he did not want to judge the Ninevites. Would he have judged them? Certainly. He judges people all the time. Did he judge Sodom and Gomorrah? Yep. Did he judge these people? Yeah, in fact, if you read further, 3,000 of them died because they didn't repent. And so God does judge, God does pour out his wrath, but I don't think he wants to. Otherwise, why go to Moses? Why have the conversation with Abraham? Why go to Jonah? See, and what happened is Jonah, even though he was absolutely rebellious, he got to be a part of the will and the plan of God. And that's what happens when we pray. We involve ourselves in the will of God. And we experience intimacy with God. And we oftentimes align ourselves with the will of God. See, because we don't know what it is, right? Lord, I don't know what you want to do here. And so I'm praying. Rather than telling God what to do, I pray. And I find out what God wants to do. Now that's in certain circumstances. But there's other circumstances where I know exactly what God wants to do. Like with Moses here. And I can pray differently in those times. When you're praying for someone's 
salvation, you know what God wants. The Bible says he desires that no one would perish. And so you can pray confidently and people will have debates about whether or not we know certain things about God. Well, okay, then I'm going to pray confidently about this person who's sick. And I'm going to tell God, you, you're going to heal this person, Lord, because I know you want to heal. Well, wait, we don't know that, do we? Scripturally, I don't know that we know that. Do we know that God can heal everybody? Absolutely. Do we know that he wants to heal everybody? Well, he didn't heal Paul. Paul pleaded with God. And so we don't understand all the time what God wants to do. And so that's why I struggle when I don't know what God wants to do in a certain situation. I struggle demanding and commanding God and saying, Lord, I know what you want to do. Wait, I don't know in every situation. And so I I say, Lord, from my vantage point, man, this just doesn't make sense, Lord, what you're doing here. But not my will be done, your will. But see, there's other times where I can confidently pray the will of God because I know scripturally that this is... God's will. And so we pray differently based upon the situation. But we're not praying to twist the arm of God to make God do something that he didn't intend to do in the first place. If that were the case, if, if that's what prayer accomplishes, then, then we serve a God who's no longer omniscient, who's no longer all-powerful. We serve a God who, who is capricious, who changes, who in one moment said he's going to do this, and in the next decides to do this. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God of the Bible. Now, clearly, as I said, and I'll restate it, there are times where God does things that are according to his will, that are according to his sovereignty, but in human terms, he doesn't necessarily want to do them. And that's the way we have to explain it. It doesn't maybe rationalize in our way of thinking, but like I said, the best example is people die and go to hell every day. God doesn't will that. He doesn't wish that. But it, it's clearly under his sovereignty, and it's clearly not something that he wants to happen. So the, the short of it is, there's a lot about the Bible I don't understand. There's a lot of things I, I just wish I could give you a better answer, wish I could clear it up uh, more. But in this situation, we take what we know about the Word, what we know about God, and we try to reconcile that with, with a difficult passage such as this or a difficult question such as, does prayer change God's mind? But it still leaves us having to fall upon the fact that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. So any uh, questions or, or comments? Have some discussion about that. Gail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like a command, but I, I think what Moses knew about God overrode the, the command, I guess, in a sense. Uh, I think Moses knew that God didn't want to do that from the, from the very beginning. And that's why he says, like, you know, three things. Lord, it, it goes against your grace, your glory, your goodness here. Um, but, I, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, it seems like he's going against what God is saying for him to do. But if you're looking at it as if, God was, in a sense, testing Moses, much like he did with Abraham and Isaac, right? He told Abraham to go offer Isaac, but he didn't intend for him to do it. And he told him to do it. Um, so I think in this situation, he's telling Moses to do something that he, he didn't necessarily want to do, I think, to involve Moses and to see how Moses would respond. Because you remember, Moses hasn't exactly demonstrated a real heart for these people, you know. And so... 
it seems like Moses has really gone through some transformation. Um, I don't know. Does that help? <laughs> Not really. Diana? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I, I think we see that throughout the Bible, you know, that God allows things for the simple reason that we would um, relate to him in a greater way. You know, like he, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so because of the difficulties that Paul was going through, he realized the sufficiency of God. Had he not gone through those things, he wouldn't have realized that, and he wouldn't have known the Lord as well as he did. Any other comments, you guys? That, Linda? Well, I think, it, I mean, we have to say, okay, what, what, does it, what does it avail? What does it accomplish, right? Um, it certainly does accomplish a lot. Does it, does it change the, the, the direction that God intended to go in the first place? Some would say yes. Some would say no. I'm going to say no. And, and I'm not a Calvinist, you know. I, maybe I sound like one. Um, but I, I'm certainly not a Calvinist. I'm not one to say that, that man does not have a, a will, a free will. But I personally believe that the free will of man never trumps the sovereignty of God. Um, and, you know, again, that's been debated for a long time. But the, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I don't think by, by answering the question, does prayer change God's mind in the negative, I don't think then that says, well, then it doesn't accomplish anything. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It does accomplish things. It, it allows us to know God. It, it allows us to see the heart of God. It allows us to be a part of God's plan. It allows us to, uh, to you know, to see the things uh, that, that God intends to do and to be a part of those things. So, you know, but if God can't learn things, right, and if he's all-knowing, then I can't go to prayer thinking that I'm instructing God and giving him good ideas, right? Now, that's from a human perspective. That's what it means when we change people's minds, and that's why I struggle with this. When I change somebody's mind, what that means is I give them new information, and now they decide, you know what? You're right. That's a good idea. Let's do that. But it doesn't work that way with God because he knows everything. So I'm going to him saying, hey, Lord, you know, it would really be a good idea to save Joe over here, don't you think? Hey, Lord, what do you think about healing, you know, this, this person? Don't you think that would be a good idea? I'm not interjecting new ideas into God's mind. Otherwise, God's learning something. I'm making him aware of something he didn't already know, and I, I can't go there. So it, it, it avails much, I think, in that it allows us to be all those, part of all those things we talked about. Um, is that, do you have anything else to add to that? Am I might. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, when you look at James five sixteen, the verse that you quoted, the context of it is confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the context is praying for one another. And, and you know, I think that's where, where, the, where the context is, is that in, in that regard, we are, we're accomplishing much as we confess our sins. As, as we, you know, pray for forgiveness for one another. As we forgive people. As we go to the cross, you know. So clearly, we're, we're accomplishing a lot. Um, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it, again, it goes back to some would say, well, God didn't intend for Hezekiah to live those 15 years and that it wasn't part of his plan and he just gave in and relented and changed his mind. But, I mean, did he not know that that, that was going to happen? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that God knows the number of our days, that, that the, the very number of our days is counted by the Lord? Uh, you know, he had a son, Manasseh, and some people say, well, that was the, the result of, you know, his bad decision to live another 15 years. And, I mean, that makes for a good Bible study. You know, like it sounds cool, like the application is there, that, look, he, he insisted on more and he went against God's will and God gave in and then he got this evil son. But, I mean, didn't God create Manasseh and wasn't Manasseh, you know, fashioned before the foundations of the world? Right. Yeah. Alicia? Um, can you condense the question? <laughs> oh, okay. So like the, the, the foreknowledge of God is rooted in the, the, what man does. In other words, God sees it happening, but he, men kind of create it. Yeah, and that, that, that's a kind of a common belief of the foreknowledge of God, you know, that it, it's kind of like um, Jacob and Esau, right? God, it's, the Bible teaches us, Romans chapter 9, God hated Esau, he loved Jacob. And so some people will say, well, God looked ahead and he saw what Jacob would do, and he saw that he was a, a man after his own heart, you know, that he, that he had a heart for God, and Esau didn't. And so he, because of his ability to see into the future, then that's why he did what he did. You know, that's why he preordained for Esau to be, you know, hardened to God and Jacob to be. And I just, I struggle with it. You know, it's just like, wow, that sounds really good. But then it really just kind of like emasculates God's sovereignty. You know, it's like, I just struggle with it. I mean, I sound like a Calvinist all of a sudden. I don't know where that came from, but um, I, you know, I, I got, I, I came to Christ in in a in a Calvinistic church under a Calvinistic pastor who was was pretty, and then I and then I kind of was was taught maybe what would be um, a lot of Arminian teaching, um, you know, maybe what you might call Wesleyism. Um, you know those kinds of things. Maybe I'm losing some of you, but and and so I've I've been kind of on either extreme, and I'm just kind of confused. But I I really, <clears throat> you know, and I think a lot of people are. Um, I people that that like have the sovereignty of God and the in the free will of man figured out. They scare me, honestly. It's like no, you're I, you're just. You got to be out to lunch because nobody's figured this out for two thousand years. But I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, I just personally, I can't go there because to me, if God's sovereign, then that means 
that he isn't waiting for us to do something and then he responds to it. But we have a free will. And so that fits in there too, you know. So it's, it's confusing. When you get it figured out, let me know. Diana? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, there's, if he tells us to pray, then why, if he, if he already intends for something to happen. But it goes back to, well, what does prayer accomplish? Are we trying to get our will done in heaven, or are we trying to get God's will done on earth? And, and I personally believe that prayer is intended to get God's will done on earth. Not for me to twist God's arm, but for, for me to align myself with God. So I think God already knows the fork that he's going to take. And I want to get in line with that and go on that fork. Loretta? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I started saying by saying what I did, like, what is the base concept of prayer? It's intimacy with God. And so almost the question in and of itself is, is from the wrong premise, you know, because the premise being that I'm going to prayer to try to change the direction of God, and that's not what prayer is about anyway. Prayer is simply about spending time with the Lord, you know. Um, and so I think you make a great point. It, it does bring peace and it it does allow me to experience God in a way that that I can't in in, in any other thing you know rich um I mean it kind of does yeah really um what does it kind of does have to do with the with the question I know exactly what you're talking about Matthew chapter 16 um Matthew 16 verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, He's talking to Peter about authority, right? He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. He says that that on this confession, I will build the church, right? And that he's he's going to build the church on this confession that Jesus is the Christ. He's not going to build the church on Peter, which is the way some interpret this, and, and that it's built on the, the papal system. That, that is not right. He's building it on the confession of Peter. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, which is a, is a metaphor of authority. Just like when you give your child the keys to the car, it, it's, there's authority there, giving them responsibility. Give you the keys to ki- the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, literally in the Greek... Whatever has already been bound on earth, or whatever you bind on earth, I should say, will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. That's the Greek, okay? So, whatever... The, I'm giving you the, the authority, Peter, to, to build the church and, and to sh- preach the gospel. And so, on the basis of the fact that I'm Lord... And that I'm sovereign over the church. I'm the head of the church. When, when you're aligned with my will, then whatever you have opportunity to bind on earth, he's talking about, you know, I believe he's talking about salvation in, in the lives of people. Um, 
whatever you have opportunity to bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you have opportunity to loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, he's praying to align himself with God's will once again. He's, he's accomplishing what's already been determined in heaven. Does that, does that help? It's kind of the short of that. Any, anybody else? I know this is a, a very confusing uh, thing, and, I, and maybe I've confused you more. Um, I, I hope not, but I, I hope you guys can, you know, just realize that there's a lot of things that, that we don't have figured out. As, you know, we started this series, I said, look, we're going to end with worship because we don't know the fullness of God. We don't have him figured out. And whenever we try to figure God out, we're always left with more questions. And, and I think that's the way God intended it to be. And so, kind of like Loretta said, the simplicity of it is God wants us to pray. He asks us to pray. And so we just need to pray. And we don't have to figure out and, and try to rationalize and analyze the whole thing. We just need to pray. And, and like Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 15, when we pray according to his will, stuff happens. And the reason why we don't hear and see answered prayer a lot is because we're not praying according to God's will. If we just prayed according to God's will more, we'd see a lot more happen. Well, how do I know God's will? Well, we need to know God. We need to know him in his word, in the way that he's revealed himself to us. And then we can pray like Moses, according to God's will, and we'll see him do radical things. And Moses was appealing to God based on his character. Was he telling God something about himself that he didn't already know? Is he reminding God of something that he forgot? Of course not. But that's the way it appears in the text because we are reading it as humans and it, that's the only way we, it can be explained to us so that we understand it. As I said, they're, they're, the whole Bible is filled with anthropomorphisms, explaining God in human terms. The Bible tells us that, that, that God is a chicken who hides us under his wings. Is that really what God is? Is he a chicken? Is he a rock? You know, is he an, an eagle? Is he a groom? He, he describes himself as a groom and we're the bride. Song of Solomon, I mean, you know, is that, is, is God a lover? And so all, all of these, these anthropomorphisms fall short of who God really is. But there are ways in which we can understand God and his character and, and ways that we can formulate our theology. And so we have to go to the Lord not having him figured out, but understanding his character in a general sense like Moses did. And when we pray in that regard, we see the Lord do amazing things. So I, I hope that, that helps you guys. Um, you know, there was another question about prayer uh, that I'll throw in here. We had several questions kind of related to the same topics. And, and so th this was a, another question regarding prayer. Do we have to pray out loud? If I'm talking with God in my own thoughts, does it have the same impact of, as speaking out loud? And, and I would say uh, absolutely. We don't have to, to pray um, audibly for God to hear us. Uh, I think that it can be helpful to pray audibly because I, I know that when I pray, I have a tendency to fall asleep. And so if I pray audibly, it, it can help. Um, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with praying audibly, but certainly you don't need to because God can read our, our thoughts and our mind something that the devil can't do, um, by the way. But uh, so is there a difference between audible or um, just inaudible prayers? Uh, no. And there's, there's no more powerful way of praying. 
Diana? Yeah, yeah. Rich? <laughs> yeah, right. Yep, yep. Good. Well, why don't we stand together? Why don't we close in prayer? Um, you know, one of the things, you guys, that, that I'm not afraid to do here is is just to tell you that I don't have it all figured out. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. Um, there's a lot of things I read. I mean, honestly, every week when I'm studying the Bible and studying as we go through the Bible, there's stuff that I just go, I have no idea what that means. And there's times where I, I come into uh, the pulpit not knowing what certain things mean. And, and sometimes the Lord kind of reveals it to me even as I'm teaching. Other times I walk away more confused than than when I started. And um, I probably pass that on to you. But, you know, I... I think we're all on a journey. We're all, uh, you know, trying to to learn the word and experience God, and and we all see through our own lenses. Of course, uh, there are ways to interpret the Bible properly, and and I think we have to do that. And there's tools to to do that properly, uh, and that's why I said what I did tonight, just in relationship uh, to to these things. But I'm not afraid to say, look, I don't have this figured out, and you know. Sometimes I think in church we want to we want to convince each other that we've got it all figured out, or each church has its own theology, right? And so uh, you know we're a Calvary Chapel, which means that it looks this way, and we've we believe in God in this set way, and 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 this is how it looks. And um, you know I, I really believe that that that's just kind of putting God into a box, you know. Um, we're, we're a church filled with people who see things differently, who, who react differently, who understand uh, certain things differently, and that's okay. And you may disagree with me at times, and, and I've had people come to me and say, you know, I, I don't know if I can go to this church. I disagree with you on that. And I'll just say to them, like, when you came here, did you expect to agree with me on everything? Because if you did, boy, that's kind of scary. Like, you want to agree with me on every single point? That's like, I, like I like to say, I don't even agree with myself all the time. How can I expect you to agree, agree with me? So I would hope that, that, man, you don't come here because you want to agree with me. I hope you come because you, you want a fuller understanding of the Word, and, and hopefully, as we go through the Word, it's helping you to, uh, and challenging you to know God better, and, and to go home and to study these things for yourself, and and not to just rely upon me to be your only source of revelation of God. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to help in, in every way that I can. I want to be the best pastor and Bible teacher that I can, but, but I fall short all the time. So, Stuart, why don't we close with a song? Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to have you figured out. Lord, in a, in a, in a sense, it's a mystery. Lord, there's so much about you that we don't understand, that we don't know. Lord, you've revealed yourself to the full extent of what we can handle. But even in that, Lord, even in what you've chosen to reveal about yourself, we're still left wondering and questioning about so many things, God. And and I know that for many years, Lord, I thought I had you figured out. I pretty much had it dialed, and I knew the answer to everything. And, And Lord, the more I walk with you and the more I pastor the more I realize Lord I I don't know anything really and I've got more questions today than I've ever had and 
And Lord, I pray that that wouldn't create confusion amongst us. I pray that would create worship. God, that that would create just a, a, an awe of you that, that we don't know everything about you, Lord. But what we do know about you, God, is so awesome. It's so marvelous. Lord, it's so amazing, the things that we do know. And God, we can spend a lifetime just focusing on what we do know. But our tendency is to focus on what we don't know, Lord. And so forgive us for that. God, thank you for prayer. Thank you that it aligns us with your will, that it involves us with your plan. God, that it provides us an opportunity to relate to you, to experience intimacy with you. God, that's what we want more than anything else, God. Capture our hearts. God, we want to experience you in a real and and fresh and dynamic way. Bless the rest of this week, Lord. Thank you for what will come our way. We know, God, that it's, it's from you and it's allowed by you, Lord, and that you'll carry us through no matter what comes. And we trust in that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. May we bear fruits of your Spirit as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.